anybody I've ever met who's a parent who says, you know, I feel like I don't really need any improvement. <laughs> I've kind of got it, you know? Uh, particularly in the area we're talking about tonight, which is as we're continuing our conversation about healthy sexuality for kids, um, what that looks like and all of the, you know, helping them develop a lifelong kind of perspective of what that is, it's particularly to talk about pornography, which is kind of, that's a lot of the focus tonight. So I know that, you know, a lot of people, I just can't believe that we're just not full of people in the room. So I'm glad you guys are here. One person pointed out wisely is I used to be in youth ministry and I was also a, a soccer coach for a number of years at high school, is that always the parents you need to be at the parent meetings and need to do all these things are all the people that need it the least. Um, so while you might feel completely inadequate, chances are the fact that you're here in by itself indicates that you already have a, a leg up, um, than rest of everybody else. If, in case you're in the comparison, comparison business, you're better than everybody. So that should just feel good. Just live with that. <laughs> you're fully entitled to know that you're better than everybody. Um, so I don't want to take any more time where Jim's going to do a little, um, a little bit of some, some stuff for us to consider. And then we'll have some Q and A at the end. And, um, is there anything else I'm missing? I don't think that's it. I think, I think we're good, right? Care. All right. Please welcome your hair model. Jim Burns. <laughs> oh, man. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. I was actually in, uh, in I left here, and then I was in Missouri uh, for the weekend, and I talked about sex. On Thursday, I talked about sex. Today, I did two radio shows, to, because Shades of Grey is a big deal, so they, they're pulling people like me to get what my opinion is. So I said to my wife, I am finally tired of talking about sex. And so, you know, after you, I'm not going to talk about sex for, well, until Saturday night at a marriage conference that Doug Fields and I are doing at the Montage. Somebody had to go to the Montage. It's a tough deal. Okay. Anyway, you know what I am so afraid of? Can I just say what I'm afraid of, Jeff? Well, two things. One is you call me an international expert on parenting. My kids go to this church. They're going to totally just, you know, it's like my daughter, Rebecca, she was 17. We're driving down uh, actually Pacific Coast Highway. And uh, she goes, you know, Dad, all of my friends think you are the coolest dad. I'm like, oh, that is, I, I, you know, I, you know I, it's me. And she goes, Lindsay wants you to marry, um, to walk her down the road when she gets, not the road, the aisle when you get married. Um, you know, Ashley thinks this and she names all these people. My head is so big. I make the big mistake. Do you think I'm cool? No. You won't let me do this. You won't let me do this. And she, me and my head just went right back like that. So I'm not sure they would agree that I'm an international expert. I'm not even sure I would agree on that. The other fear, so that's one fear. The other fear is that since I go to this church and I love this church and I love our staff and I love what goes on here, that when you people see me on Sunday now, you're going to say, oh, that's the sex guy. And I actually talk about other things besides sex sometimes. In fact, next week we're going to talk about how to drug-proof your kids. I don't care what age you're, if you have a baby, you should be it there. We're going to do that for half an hour. We're going to talk about creating a media-safe home. Both of those, I am so sorry to have done that to you. Um, (laughs) But both of those um, issues are really, really critical issues, okay? I, I sat with some people, and not sat, I stood and they sat, uh, for three hours on creating a media-safe home in Columbia, Missouri on Sunday afternoon, and it was remarkable what parents needed and what we needed to talk about. I, I, and I'm not going to give you three hours, of course, but anyway, that's the, so those are, my t- those are my two fears. <clears throat> um, a number of years ago, I, I started writing books on sex and sexuality, and uh, a number of years ago, this book of mine became kind of a bestseller, if you would, uh, in the Christian world anyway. And for some reason, it caught the attention of the secular world. And so I started doing a lot of television shows. And I'm really not a TV guy. I don't have a TV face, as you can tell. I do some radio, but, you know, te- television, you know. 
But for some reason, I started doing these AM morning shows, and I got on like all of them. So I'd get on the, you know, I'd have to fly someplace, I'd do the AM morning show, you know, there you are. Sometimes you're on for five minutes, sometimes you're on for, you know, 25 minutes. And for some reason, my wife Kathy wanted to go with me to Minneapolis. So our good friends, who I went to Princeton with, um, live in Minneapolis. He's actually the head of the missions department at the Evangelical Free Church, which is where they're based. So after the television show, we were going to be able to see them. And, and television, you think there's a big audience a lot of times in these you know, morning shows. There's no one. I mean, it's fake laughter. It's all canned. You know, there's three people there who are looking the other way, you know, talking about something else. So I had kind of gotten used to this. So Kathy hadn't. So we fly in. And they pick us up in a limo. And so Kathy's like, oh my gosh, would Jesus strive to be in a limo? I mean, this is, you know, should we really be in a limo? I'm like, hey, this is great, okay? We go into one of the nicest hotels I had ever been in. Um, I immediately go to the, to the uh, shampoo because I can get, I mean, they had like shampoo like this. I mean, that can last me, you know, like three months. <laughs> and she goes, what are you doing? I go, I, I brought some shampoo, so I'm going to take this shampoo and I'll bring it back and that's, you know, my shampoo. And we're, we, you know, they, like, dinner, any, anything we wanted for dinner, you know, this whole kind of thing. Then they, the uh, limo driver picks us up for a really early call. It's like 5.30 in the morning. So I'm sitting there, and I'm, um, you know, they're putting makeup on my hair, and they always have to pick, put makeup on the top of my head, which is embarrassing. And Kathy's the only person really in the audience. She's there, and I can see the woman who is like the director is talking to me about stuff. And all of a sudden she says, so for the debate now, we, we're going to do this and we have 31 minutes. So you're going to have to talk fast. You can give an illustration. But remember, you're going to have to listen to the other people as well. And I went, debate? What, what debate are you talking about? She goes, well, you're debating uh, the head of Planned Parenthood and her husband. They're both attorneys. I'm like, oh, great. You know, I'm kind of this youth worker guy. I have no clue how to do a debate. I never took debate class. And at the same time, I see the host, who's not met me yet, he's talking to Kathy, and Kathy's kind of an introvert, she's wonderful, she's incredible, and she, she is the person who makes our family work, and I'm just the kind of the mouthpiece, and she's the brains of it, and I see her going like this, and so I said, just a minute, to the director, and I walked over, and I said, hey, I'm Jim, you know, whatever, I'm freaked out that I'm going to be doing a debate on sex with somebody who has probably a different view than me, and secondly, I want to know what's going on here, and She's, I said, what's, what's going on? And he goes, well, we're trying to get your wife to be on the show because we have a husband and wife team here and you know, your wife is beautiful and she would be perfect. We, we, I would love to have her on and she'd do a great job, I can tell. And Kathy's eyes are like, oh, I don't want to be on TV. So her eyes are like this and then she goes, okay, I'll do it. I went, Kathy, you do not have to do it. She goes, no, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. I'm like, unbelievable. It's a greater miracle than Jesus walking on water to have my wife come up and be on TV. So they're putting her in there. Now we have about five minutes to go before the show's going to start. And they're powder, like one little powder right here because, you know, her, she had it all together or something. And uh, she now panics. So the mic is, you know, on, everything is going. And she goes, Jim, what do I do? What do I say? I go, Kathy, actually, you'll be great. I said, just when the little red light's on, don't pick your nose because that means it's... <laughs> on you. Okay. So that was the only advice I gave her. So the guy starts, and he said, we have an incredible show for you today. We have, you know, we have so-and-so and so-and-so. They're from Planned Parenthood. And he really turned them into probably more liberal than they actually were in terms of some of their things. And then we have an expert on sex, Jim Burns. <laughs> Kathy leans over to me, doesn't know the little red lights on and goes, I've been married to you for a lot of years and I didn't know you were an expert on sex. <laughs> so I just, I go, Kathy. And, and his wife, Kathy, it was that, that kind of a thing. So we get done with the show, and actually, I think we won. We agreed on quite a bit because we both cared about kids making right and wise decisions. Um, we, we actually disagreed on some facts as well, and I, I think we kind of did okay. And Kathy was wonderful. 
So I walk out with Kathy to meet our friends who are outside the studio, and they are laughing, and they go, I've been married to you for several years, and I didn't know you were an expert on sets. Our friend Carol says this. And I go, how do you know that? They go, all of Minnesota knows that. See, we didn't know that really the light was kind of on. And so um, the point that I'm giving with that illustration, because it really is a point, is that we should not be afraid of having a healthy foundation of sexuality, even though as you teach your kids, you're going to teach your kids a different way than a lot of their friends are going to be taught or not taught. Remember what I did yesterday, last time? I asked you, how many of you received good, positive, healthy sex education? And there were about four of you that raised your hand. So again, many of us don't have this, what I'm going to call a healthy foundation, or I might even say, because we're in church, a healthy theology of sexuality. One of the things that I said last week was that a lot of adults have a really warped view of, of sex, okay, um, because they weren't talked to by their parents, or their parents just said, don't do it because it's rotten, and so save it for the one you love, which is kind of weird. And even this weekend, when I did my sex talk during my marriage conference in, in Kansas City, um, a lot of people, adults, talked to me about how kind of weird it is for them, because, you know, it's, is it nasty to have sex with your husband or with your wife? Is it, you know, is it nasty to be in, you know, naked in front of them and all these kind of things? And I was pretty much open about that, and some of them have a hard time with that, okay? So what I first want to do is something that I didn't do last week. I just, you know, I kind of am starting through it. By the way, do you all have uh, outlines? Okay, anybody who wants one. So what I actually want to do is talk about this foundation with no apologies. Some of you last week might have said he didn't give enough scripture or he didn't talk about scripture, although I did mention what I call the purity code, which has scripture in it. But what I want to do at the beginning here is lay a foundation for you, the kind of foundation that I hope you will help your kids, no matter what their age. Now, again, when you're speaking to a three- to five-year-old, it's very different than a six- to nine-year-old, very different than a 10- to 15-year-old, and then on up, okay? But first of all, God created sex. And in fact, he sees it as very good. You've got the scriptures in front of you in Genesis 1 and 2. It says God created males. God created female. What were they wearing? They weren't wearing anything. Okay, so God created male and female, and he saw it as very good. When he created the ground, he, it was good. When he created birds, it was good. When he created stars, it was good. But when he created male and female, it was very good. So the, the issue is, as parents, I think we have made a mistake because a lot of us take sex from a negative viewpoint instead of talking to our kids from a positive viewpoint. Okay, so we panic because, you know, our five-year-old has his hands in his pants all the time. Or, you know, our little, you know, three-year-old, you know, runs out naked. Or our 13 or 14-year-old, you know, are always talking about stuff. They're somewhat inappropriate. But so what we want to do is we, we try to punish them or things like that, when in fact, what we want to do is give them this foundation. So Genesis says God created sex. He sees it as very good. We also want to talk about adultery, okay? Because it's kind of the one scripture that most Kids know, and it's found in the book of Exodus 2014, and it says you shall not commit adultery. Adultery is obviously when you, um, you know, have sex with someone who you're not married to. Uh, on Friday, a, a very close friend of mine, a very close friend, actually a very close friend of Doug's too, um, you know, called me up and said his wife had been having an affair. He's, he's in ministry, uh, not in this area. And so I talked to him today from 5.10 until about, you know, five minutes to six, and, um, you know, life's in a mess. And, and so the truth is, is that we teach kids we don't commit adultery, not because God is the great killjoy or the Grinch, but because God wants the best for you. 
this family is about ready to fall apart, break up. The church will be a mess with what could go on here. And so again, adultery is not something that is negative or, or evil. We want our kids to understand that there are boundaries with sex and sexuality because God wants the best for them. Okay, the next scripture is found in 1 Thessalonians 4.3. And, and it's an interesting scripture. Actually, you could take a look at more of you know, 1 Thessalonians. In fact, you know, one day we should have you know, Jeff talk on that whole section. But it says this, it is God's will for you that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Let me take it apart for just a minute. First of all, it's God's will. Do you know that very few times in the Bible does it say this is God's will? It's only about four or five times. Now, we believe the Bible is God's will for us. It's the standard for how we live. It's the history of God's people. It is God's will for us. But very few times in the Bible does it say this is God's will for you. And it says that you should be sanctified. Now, if you're trying to explain that to whatever age your kids are, that's a tough one because sanctified, it's kind of a you know, Christian word. We don't really know what that means, but it means to be set apart or to be different. So in other words, you know, over 50% of the kids will have sex before they turn 19 in America. Okay? And that includes kids who go to the church. Okay. So if that's the case, it's very important that we help our kids understand that it's okay to be different. Sanctified can be set apart, a little bit being cleansed. I mean, it's a really cool word when you start looking at a word study. Okay? And then it says, um, after that, set apart, that you should avoid sexual immorality. It's the same thing. It's not because God is the great um, killjoy. It's because he wants the best for you. Now, fornication um, is another root word. The word is a Greek word, immorality. It's porneia. And porneia means immorality. It's translated right in the NIV. But in the King James and other versions, they call it fornication, and it actually is the exact same root word. Later, we're going to talk about pornography, and it's also the same root word for pornography. It's God's will that you would avoid sexual immorality. Not again because God's some great killjoy, see? The world thinks that sometimes, but it's because God wants the best for you. I'm thinking of a young woman who, I won't even say her name because some of you may know her, although it's a great story about her. I'll call her Jeannie. And uh, she went to CDM. I was the first youth pastor at what is now called Mariners, and she was in my uh, youth group, and she was awesome. And beautiful. Oh, my gosh. Drop dead beautiful. And then she went to UCLA. Yeah, UCLA. She was the only virgin in her sorority. Boo, UCLA, um, for that particular sorority. But what she was saying, after she graduated from, from college, she actually came and worked uh, at Homeward for, uh, with us for a while, and she was talking with these people, and I kind of came in on the illustration. She said she was, one, every Sunday they'd have like sorority dinners. And one Sunday they were all making fun of her. And again, she was the only virgin in the sorority, she said. And uh, they, were, they called her Virgin Jeannie, not a real name. And uh, she just started crying, and she just looked out at her friends, and she goes, at any time, you know, I could become like any of you, but you could never again be like me. And all of a sudden, all those girls kind of went, well, you know, Jeannie went on, and, and I was a part of her wedding. It was really cool, and they actually, she had a ring that her parents had given her for a purity ring, and uh, her husband had this other symbol, and they exchanged the symbol, and, you know, she now works in the inner city in Philadelphia, and she's an amazing, amazing woman. She doesn't bring baggage into the relationship. Some of you have brought baggage into your relationships. Not that we can't be forgiven by God, but it would be much better to teach your kids that we would avoid sexual immorality. So really what we're teaching kids, no matter what the age, you're not going to use this with younger kids, but you're teaching sexual integrity, and that's what the Bible is filled with. The Bible also says that a man will leave his father and mother, the next one here is, is Jesus speaking, and it actually says, let me read it, because it's actually a, uh, Jesus uh, actually takes this from the Old Testament. 
But Jesus said, haven't you uh, read, he replied, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. So that's about our sexuality, okay? And see, a lot of times when we say the word sex, we only think about doing it or intercourse. No, it's about being a male or a female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So in other words, we want to teach kids as they get older, that there is no such thing as casual sex, okay? I mean, there's just simply no such thing as casual sex. Today's kids, starting in, especially in middle school, begin to um, experience more of a casualness about sex, and, and, you know, two become one. I mean, that's about sexual intimacy, because, I mean, let's face it, we're all adults. When a man and a woman come together and have sexual intercourse, that's not casual. That's, there's a oneness that's beautiful, but what we're seeing happen with kids today is they, they almost take that to the extreme. They have these experiences, and they think it's not going to affect them, but it does. Okay. A little later on, I'm going to talk about um, is sex safe. One of the things that, that we'll say is that for young women who have sex, these, are, these would be middle school, high school, and even young college students. This goes from 15 to 25. Not 15, 13 to 25. But if they have sexual relations, 25% of them were either depressed after this within three months or before within three months. So what we're seeing is that there are emotional consequences as, as much as physical consequences. And that's important for us as parents to understand. Okay, So you, you say, well, why, why do you kind of pound on that? Well, partly because the Lord, through this scripture, wants us to understand that we should avoid it. Okay, And that's a big deal, to help kids make those decisions. They'll be going against the grain of the culture, Really, frankly, you as Christian parents are kind of some of the only ones that are going to you know, stand for purity, if you would. Now, the next scripture, it doesn't have to be just a scripture on sex, but it's an incredible scripture. And it's a scripture that um, there was a season in my life where I'd speak to about a quarter of a million high school kids a year, and I would use this scripture every time almost when I was talking on sex. Flee from sexual immorality. There's that word again, okay? All other sins a person commits are outside of their body, but he or she who sins sexually, sins against their own body. Now, there's not a hierarchy of sin. You don't want to, and we tend to do this as parents. We tend to make a sexual sin a bigger deal than, you know, if they cheated on an exam or if they lied to their parents or whatever by the time they get to middle school or high school. But really, there's not a hierarchy. But a sexual sin seems to stick with a person longer. It's a sin against their own body. Sometimes there are bodily consequences. I mean, it could be pregnancy. It could be sexually transmitted diseases. Um, but it seems to st stick with them. And then it says something that's, that's incredible. So the same thing, flee from sexual immorality, run from it. Don't run from sex, run from immorality, okay? Then it says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? It's an incredible teaching that we want to be able to teach our children that as a Christian, that they, they have the temple of God within them. So really what we're called to do is treat our, the opposite sex not as a sex object, what, what shades of gray, worse than a sex object, in my humble opinion, you may have a difference of opinion, but what they've done is they've turned it into a sex object. Sex, as objectified, it's not a sexual intimacy type of a thing. It's just having you know, an incredible experience um, that is really demeaning to women, in my humble opinion. But the point being, I don't want to get off the subject on that. Um, I'm glad to take questions on it because I took questions last week on it too. But the point that I'm trying to say is, is I want to teach kids, starting at about middle school, I'm, I keep pointing to Hillary because she's our middle school um, extraordinary leader. But um, 
But the point that I'm trying to say is, is that I want to teach kids a concept called radical respect. And what radical respect means is that, you know, I'm going to pick, let me, let me pick on you two, okay? You guys are married, I assume, because you're sitting next to each other, but now you're just boyfriend and girlfriend. What's your name? Jonathan. Christina. Christina, okay. So, Christina, you're not just dating Jonathan. What a hunk he is. I mean, you can feel his muscle. Look at that muscle. Oh, he has great eyes. Look at that smile. He has hair. I'm impressed. Um, but you're dating Christ who lives within him because he, his body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So it doesn't mean that God's down on romance. He created romance. But your job is to, is to radically respect him. And so in doing that, part of that is how you handle your body, how you handle your, you know, your relationships. Now, Jonathan, you're not just dating Christina, who's beautiful, beautiful eyes, what a great smile, wonderful person, great personality, but you're dating Christ who lives within her by the power of the Spirit. So that, again, means that you radically respect her. And so the way you radically respect her is you respect her sexuality, her God-given sexuality, like you respect yours. Now, for most guys, including Christians, okay, when they're, they are in middle school and high school, they're not thinking that way. But when parents do that, and when they see parents doing it as well, so part of my job is a, as a, an adult who thinks girls are really cute, my job is to teach my children and also give my wife the security that, you know, I'm going to treat a woman as a, as a sister in Christ. The, the, the Holy Spirit of God lives within these women, so my job isn't to, you know, try to undress them, you know, when I'm, that would be kind of weird to be speaking and then try to undress somebody. But, you know, my job is actually to treat them as sisters of Christ. And it, and it takes discipline. You know, I, I've said, I say this every time. It, it's the pain of discipline or the pain of regret. Well, the pain of discipline means that we teach our kids the discipline of radical respect. What it also says, to let's pick on a girl, for example, because i got three daughters. Um, if a girl sees a guy, let, let's say my daughter, if some boy is not treating her with radical respect, then I want her to run from that, see? I want her to have high enough standards to go, no, I want, I'm looking for somebody who's going to respect me. And it's not just in the, in the sexuality thing, but anyway, that's a cool scripture, and you're teaching them more about the Holy Spirit of God. The last one, which is kind of more about yet last week, and, and I'll bring it up at the end this week, but it says, uh, it's, it's more about the purity code. It says, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. What does that mean? Christ died on a cross for us. Uh, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. So this is the kind of stuff that you want to be teaching your kids to teach them how to honor God with your, their body. And so our sexuality, remember, is more than just doing it. I didn't read this one, and we didn't even have the book, and all of a sudden now the book has shown up. This is a book for three to five-year-olds, okay? But notice what it's called, God Made Your Body. The reason it's spiritual is because I want kids, even from three to five, this is not a heavy-duty sex book, so to speak, but it's on sex. But when it starts, as I, and I, I kind of referred to this last time, but God makes boys and girls, God made boys, God made girls. Remember that a boy, is, is, that's, a, that's sexual. A girl, that's sexual. That doesn't mean it's sex doing it like we all think or the latest movies. That part of your sexuality is that you're a male and you need to rejoice in that. You need to get comfortable with your maleness. If we don't let our kids get comfortable with their maleness or their femaleness, then they will be a part of the 10.7% of the people who have gender identity confusion. So partly, we're teaching positive things from, from the scripture that gives them, not that they'll ever understand this, a theology of healthy sexuality, see? And so it goes back to this idea that, you know, God, you know, God's a part of this, okay? We tend, as parents, sometimes we tend to use God as the babysitter. You know, God does not want you to 
you know, touch a girl's breast, junior higher. Um, and, and all of a sudden, God's the, you know, the, the, the bad guy, see? So instead, what we need to do is teach it from a positive viewpoint from, you know, the, the earlier stages. Now, <coughs> the purity code is about our mind and our body and, 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 uh, and our heart. And so I want to think about the body, okay? At what age do you start talking about the body? Remember last week, I freaked some of you out because I said between three to five and even earlier, you better call it by the right part instead of, you know, some weird name. It's, you know, that's a penis and that's a vagina. And so they're getting comfortable with their body parts, if you would. But one of the places where you talk a lot about the body is right at about puberty. Now, remember, puberty is, this kind of review for some of you, but puberty is somewhere around 10 today. And puberty starts before the period starts. Puberty starts before hair starts growing with boys or whatever, okay? Remember that there's, it's an inside job first. So some of you who have kids kind of right at that stage, you're going, God, they have an attitude right now like crazy. Well, part of that is, you know, they're, 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 there's things changing in their body and they're not sure how to handle that. So this sweet little naive, innocent, you know, beautiful thing is now like kind of bewitching at times. And it's partly because once actually they get through some of their purity, they'll, they'll kind of, or their puberty, not purity, they'll kind of go back. Then you got to worry about purity. So, so there's some changes. So this is a time, a really critical time. And I'm, I'm so glad that some of you have younger kids because you want to hear this. This is the time to have talks about things like sexual systems. Uh, you're going to freak out on this one, but this is the time you kind of have a conversation about masturbation. See? And, yeah, some of you just went, fantastic. My husband isn't here, but he's going to have that conversation, not me. Okay. But, again, it goes back to, you know, the, the changes in their bodies, sexual systems, sexual organs. Because up until that time, like a woman here asked me last week, you know, said that her five-year-old always has his hands in his pants, kind of plays with his penis. That's not, ma- she thought he was masturbating. That's not masturbation. It's not a sexual thing. Does it feel good? It probably feels really good for the kid. Is he all proud of it? He's a boy. He probably is. I mean, ridiculous, okay? But that's not a sexual thing. As they start reaching puberty, that's when we need to help them understand things. And again, the first time you tell a kid anything, they're not going to remember it hardly, but literally going through, it's in a book we call The Purity Code, but in that we have a section called The Sexual Systems where literally you're teaching boys what a scrotum is. But, you know, there are men here who hardly know what a scrotum is, okay? But you're you're teaching young women, what a womb is and what takes place in that womb. And, 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 and you're helping them understand that. Again, not because you're trying to be all scientific. No, you're trying to make them feel comfortable with their body. Why are you doing that? The reason is always the same. The reason is at that age, you get them comfortable with their body. Then when they get older, they're going to be more proud of their body. And it's not going to be something that they're just going to hand over to somebody, young women or, or guys. Okay? They're going to take it more seriously. It's going to be a little bit uh, more sacred, if you would. So, there's cha- uh, so, so you're talking about the changes in the body. Then you're also talking about, is sex safe? Now, parents do a pretty good job at this at a certain age. You know, don't do, you know, we, we're, we're worried, we fold our arms, we tell them you know, it could be really bad or whatever. You can get pregnant, you can get AIDS, okay? Uh, you can get sexually transmitted diseases. But really, um, we need to help them understand from two points, physical and emotional. So I, I kind of mentioned the emotional we totally forget the incredible emotional involvement in sexuality. So when a young girl who's in seventh grade 
um, goes to what we now call first base because she's sexting. And we say that's the first base, the new first base. She's sexting. She's not trying to be some seductive, you know, person. But emotionally now feel, she feels bad because, you know, she starts realizing what she has done as she gets older. And she goes, that was a really dumb thing to do. So she begins to feel bad about herself. So there's an emotional connection here. One of the phrases that I used last week was that kids make sexual decisions based on emotional involvement that exceeds their maturity level. So there are some emotional consequences to, to, to this. Now, again, I'm speaking more to the parents who have kind of pre-puberty, puberty and up for this moment. But when you're with the younger kids, get prepared for that. And, and you, you know, you have a running start because you can kind of, you know, some of the folks haven't had a conversation with their kids. I had somebody here last week who said, you know, I, I, what do I do with my 17-year-old? We haven't ever talked about the, the S word. I said, well, I think your 17-year-old knows quite a bit. But I actually said, I think it's time to still have, you know, some conversation. You don't have to lecture. Just go, hey, so what's going on at school? Um, what do, what's your opinion of? And don't be surprised if they have a different opinion than you. But they still need to hear from you what that, you know, what that's all about. Um, is sex safe? Well, let's, let's talk for a minute about sexually transmitted diseases, okay? Sexually transmitted diseases. For one thing, one out of five of the people in this room have a sexually transmitted disease, okay? Now, no one here at church is wearing a sign that goes, I have a sexually transmitted disease, okay? But we do. There's just a lot of people who have sexually transmitted diseases. When Jimmy Burns was going to Anaheim High School in the shadows of Disneyland, way back, you know, with covered wagons, um, there were two sexual transmitted diseases. One was syphilis and one was gonorrhea. And, and penicillin pretty much took care of it all. It's not the case anymore. There's 25, 26, 27 strains of sexually transmitted diseases, or today the politically correct term is sexually transmitted infections. And a lot of those you are going to stay with you. Okay? But the fascinating thing is that some kids get sexually transmitted diseases and they don't even know how you get a sexually transmitted disease. So it's important for us at a younger age than you would ever imagine to help them understand, you know, a little bit about sexually transmitted diseases, okay? We have a, uh, I don't think we have it here today because we only brought three books, but we have a, a tape series where I interviewed people, and uh, like one was um, Rebecca St. James, she's a Christian singer, and, and I interviewed her for about six minutes on why she remained a virgin until she was married, and um, um, I talked to Pam Stencil on sexually transmitted diseases. Some parents would go, my gosh, I've got an 11-year-old. Well, you know, Pam Stencil is talking pretty in-depth about this. Well, this, that's the age. Because you, wanna, you are the ones who want to talk to them about it, not let them find out from someplace else. Okay? And so sexually transmitted diseases, let me, let me just talk about it. So Time Magazine says that one out of five 15 to 25-year-olds right now have a sexually transmitted disease, just like population. And this is Time Magazine. It's not a Christian, you know, uh, you know, quote or whatever. But one out of five. But the average person who's sexually active in America, 15 to 25, has seven partners. Now, what Time said was, do the math. You take one out of five have a sexually transmitted disease, seven partners. They, they categorize this as a new generation will who are sexually active are going to have pretty much sexually transmitted diseases. And what, one of the things they were talking about was from the medical side, we're going to have to figure this thing out. And we actually are kind of, I mean, they are kind of helping. I mean, you, I think they'll be, I think we will see in this generation a cure for HIV. I mean, I think we're getting really close. I think there'll be a vaccine. You know, there's a lot of things that are, that are good about some of this, but it still doesn't 
take away the fact that your job as a parent is to help your kids understand this and so understand some of the is sex safe stuff besides just going, you know, you could get pregnant, don't do it, you'll get hair on your palms or you'll go bald or something and, you know, that's, you know, that's not right, I don't think. Um, the other, so that's the body. The other aspect is mind. You know, I mentioned this last week, but it's, you know, my main thing that I would say to kids is teach them that their mind is their most um, active sex organ. And the most powerful sex organ is not their private parts, but it's their mind. And so what we've got to be able to do is help our kids, um, you know, part of the purity code says renew your mind. So we teach them things like radical respect. Um, Well, I think we also have to talk a lot about friends. And, you know, you could do this in different things, but with your mind, you know, like, for example, with friends, kids at a certain age start um, imitating their friends. And so if their friends are all excited about looking at pornography, they're going to be excited about looking at pornography. If their friends um, are, you know, into girls, then they're going to be into girls. They might not even have that interest, but they're going to move that way. If guy, you know, it's guys, girls, you know, same, same kind of thing. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 20, um, walk, with, uh, walk with the wise and you will be wise. Associate with fools and that's what you're going to become. It's a modern version, living Bible. And so, again, the influence of friends is a big deal. So as parents, we have to understand a couple of things. One is kids are influenced greatly by peer pressure. But there's also positive peer pressure. Or there's positive peer, you know, kind of conformity. So one of the things you want to be thinking a lot about when you're even thinking about the sexuality with your kids is who are their friends? Okay? And, and I realize, I would, I would have loved to have chosen every one of my kids' friends. I, I didn't do that. But boy, did we sure have our kids involved in, you know, in youth ministry and children's ministry when they were younger. And the reason was partly because we wanted them to be around friends who had similar backgrounds, similar faith backgrounds, similar morals and values, that perhaps their parents were also teaching them some stuff. And yet at the same time, I mean, we put our kids through eighth grade. Two of them went to a Christian school. One made it till fourth grade. And... Uh, um, you know, we, our kids heard all the same language and all the same stuff and heard the same jokes and all that as anybody else. But what we wanted was we wanted to be the dominant force, not their friends. So fr- it's hard enough when, when we don't say a word about sex, of course they're going to hear it from their friends. But we wanted to be the dominant force and not in a lecture preaching mode. Okay, So the friend thing is important. Part of the friend thing is interesting because we get into dating and, uh, you know, there's a school called Mariner's Christian School, which is kind of down the road. And, you know, they pulled me in one time and all these parents wanted to ask me questions. And one of the parents said they have a, uh, they have a prom type of a deal where they don't, they don't now, but they used to. And they said, what do you think of it? And I'm looking out. I'm sure that the person who's, you know, put on the prom, you know, is sitting in the room. And these kids um, at Mariner's Christian, it's totally safe. They have, they have chaperones. Um, these people, some of these people have enough money where, you know, these kids, they rented limos for these kids. They went to great restaurants. I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, the girls got all dressed up. The guys got out of soccer at 5.30 and then went to the dance at 6.30 or whatever it is. And they're in tennis shoes, but, you know, they have, you know, funky type clothes. I said, I'm really, I'm really against it. So the reason isn't because I think it's totally safe. I don't think anybody's going to have sex. I hope there's not drinking. I think you guys will be great with that. So my problem is, is you're revving up the engines too soon. Does that mean that they all will want to have sex? No. But take a look at the graph. It's worth you coming today to look at that graph. At what, if a kid dates at age 12, and let me explain what a date is. 
If a kid dates at age 12, there's a 91% chance that they're going to have sex. And so sometimes we as parents go, it's, it's, it's innocent, so it's not like they're gonna, somebody's going to come and pick up a 12-year-old in a car. I hope you're not that kind of parent that's going to allow them to go away, although there are parents that do this, unfortunately. You know, go to the movies and whatever. Not even, and I'm saying, the 12-year-olds aren't having sex. They're going to have sex by the time they graduate from high school. So we don't want to rev up the engines too soon, see? Look at, at age 16. What's the percent? 20. That's pretty incredible. So if kids will wait until they're 16, now I don't think 16 is a magic number. I think you have to earn that. But the fascinating thing is, is here in South Orange County, almost all of your kids can go to dances and you know, events and stuff like that earlier. And so it's gonna, you're going to get pushed. At least some of you will. Some of you won't. Most of you will. And you're going to get pushed. And when do you do that? When do you not? How do you, I mean, that was a, I mean, for Kathy and I, were we the only people who didn't want our kids to go to homecoming when they were in ninth grade? Okay, and, and, and how do you do that? What, how does that work? But again, the point being that a date is any time when it is an exclusive relationship where they actually are doing a lot of stuff together. That doesn't mean that the cute little thing where somebody's on the phone and they're talking or, you know, they're, you know I have a girlfriend and the girlfriend is really some girl that he's talked to three times and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking that they actually go and do stuff by themselves, even if it's somewhat chaperoned. Again, this is my own opinion. The beauty of things like this is you can totally disagree with me and you know, I'm not walking to your house and trying to convince you that way. But if, for example, one parent says, well, you know, I let you know, the, the 12-year-olds, is this exclusive dating? I let them go to the movies, and, but then I always pick them up. That's exclusive. I'm not saying that, the, maybe those kids won't have sex, but 9% of them aren't gonna have sex, the rest are. Again, because we're, it's a marker. So what we want to do, and again, we're going to get pushed because everything is getting pushed earlier and earlier. See? So you're going to be the bad guy sometimes, but it doesn't change the statistic that I'm putting in front of you. Okay? And uh, that's, a, that's a key, you know, critical uh, issue. Now the next phrase here would be eyes, as we look at eyes. And where, where I'm going with eyes is I, I do want to talk about you know, the issue of pornography. I actually think that this is what could take this generation down. Okay, I said this last week. I mean, this is a quiz. If you were here, how many of you weren't here last week? Okay. Oh, quite a few of you. Okay. Um, hey, by the way, it's it, they can go online and hear the first opening stuff, right? Yeah, we had a little audio trouble. We're redoing it, so she'll be able to see. Okay, cool. Um, but anyway, one of the things I said for those of you who are here, what is the age that they're going to see pornography? Your kids, you'll love this. Eleven. So today in America, it's age 11 that they're going to see pornography. Now, I don't think most of your kids are going to want to see pornography, um, so they're really doing the nasty, nasty at age 11. I think a lot of them, it's a pop-up. I was, I was telling a group about me reading I, uh, USA Today about three weeks ago, and I was reading an article. I'm a, a culture watcher, and it's kind of what I do, speak on, you know, translate culture for parents. I always tell parents, be students of the culture. So I'm reading a thing on Kim Kardashian, who I really very, I know very little about Kim Kardashian, and so I thought, oh, I'll read this article. Then in, this is USA Today on my iPad, in blue it says Kim Kardashian. I push the button, and it goes to Kim Kardashian. It's a full frontal picture of Kim Kardashian, naked. I see her breast, and I see her very private part there, not so private part, I should say, okay? And so I go, oh my gosh, I have somehow got onto a, like a porn site, so I go back to it on my iPad, and it's USA Today, okay? 
I actually told a friend of mine, so of course he went immediately to see Kim Kardashian naked, and he was so um, upset about it, he actually called customer service. Uh, there's some kind of a service, customer service number at USA Today, and they said, it's going to be taken down. We've had you know, several calls on this. We are so sorry it wasn't supposed to go there. But it, was, it went to a magazine that had these pictures of Kim Kardashian, and part of the article had said she was in this magazine, and they thought it was Photoshopped. They actually thought her, her bottom was Photoshopped. I don't know. But anyway, the point that I'm saying is that was accidental. I didn't mean to see Kim Kardashian. I think I have enough discipline to turn my eyes on that. Okay, Some people are going, hey, now what was that USA Today? I bet. Um, but how fascinating that it was an accident. Well, that's what's going to happen to your kids. Let me tell you about a kid at Coast Hills Community Church, not too far from here. My wife teaches the Bible study there on Tuesday nights. So that's why she's not here. And... Um, he was 13, and his, we used to have a, now it's called Dick's, which is even worse probably, but we used to have Chick's Sporting Goods. Anybody remember Chick's Sporting Goods? So his dad, he was 13, and he was playing baseball, and he was going to be a first baseman, so he needed a first baseman's glove, said, you know, go on Chick's, see what the price is, we'll go over there. So the kid types in Chick's. Guess what on Google, Chick's Sporting Goods is not the first thing. So this kid goes, Chick's, and it has girls, girls, girls. He pushes a button, and he sees soft porn. I mean, he doesn't see the world's most grossest thing, but he sees soft porn. But at the soft porn site, it's very easy then to get to the next porn site. So this kid is introduced at age 13. This is a kid, his parents are leaders at that church. He is a great kid. He kind of looks nerdy and innocent. Actually, a little bit like Jeff. And because um, um, Jeff's innocent, and he's definitely a nerd, I'm telling you. Uh, but so the point being is that this kid sees it. Well, for a year and a half, he is totally addicted to pornography. His parents don't see it as a, him as a bad thing. He's still getting good grades. But on a daily basis, he's putting pornography into his mind. So by the time they got, he got caught, he was much smarter on computer than they were. So by, time, by the time he got caught, he was totally addicted to pornography. And he had moved to some pretty gross stuff. So now, for, for his life, he's going to have to reconfigure what he has in his mind because women, obviously, have become a sex object. See what I'm saying? So we have to be careful... So the reason we want to talk to our kids about pornography and the reason we want to understand how it can escalate is because um, we don't want our kids accidentally seeing this like, you know, like that kid. You know the story of, of somebody here within this community who, a young girl, she, um, they actually went to a really great church and she was kind of a leader at the church and she had a Facebook account. Parents didn't know she had a Facebook account. And she befriended everybody, and so as she befriended everybody, you know, she never knew who they were. She was trying to get as many friends as she could, understandable, but not a good idea. And so the, the girl um, meets somebody, and she had fudged a little bit on her age, so she said that she was 18, and um, he was 27, but he had fudged on his age, and he said that he was 19. And so they kind of created this thing, and come to find out he was a sexual predator, and he'd been kind of trolling, and there's other words for it too, but he was from Texas, and he just created this, this account, and he kind of flirted with her a little bit, but not sexually. Finally, he says, hey, can we talk privately? And so he gets her into a, a chat room, and they sort of start flirting, and he says, I think I'm falling in love with you, and, but you know, it's, it's really slow, because he's probably doing this with a whole lot of other people. And so finally, he says, I'd like to meet you. So the 27-year-old flies from Texas to California, illegal. Um, to not to fly, but to do what he's going to do. They meet at a Hampton Inn. She rides her bicycle to the Hampton Inn, someplace near Irvine, and uh, they end up having sex. He he gave her some alcohol, and you know this again was a good kid. I mean, she was a leader in, in her youth group, 
But, you know, she was also in love, okay? So anyway, they have their weekend honeymoon kind of thing. I mean, she came, she'd ride back. Parents didn't even know that she'd had this experience. She was jubilant. And the mother remembered her that weekend being absolutely ha- extra happy. Went to church with him and then went back and said goodbye to this guy, and he flew back. A couple weeks later, same thing happens, and then he oh, online says, I've got another girlfriend, and he's done with her. Okay? A couple weeks later, she, and she goes into a deep depression, and, uh, and the parents can really tell. I mean, it's a, remember I said they go into a depression sometimes, so she goes into this deep, deep, deep depression. And one week, they were going to church, and she always went, because she loved church, she loved youth group. And she said, you know, I'm, I'm not feeling good, I kind of am on my period, and can I just stay home today? And, you know, they come back home, and she hung herself. Okay. Now, I'm not saying that that happens to every kid, but the reason I want to tell you that as a parent is to say that this is how serious it is. When, like, now, that's on creating a media-safe home next week, so to speak, but it's also because what had happened was during that process, she had been introduced to pornography, but it wasn't pornography for a girl. It wasn't pornography that, I mean, she's not, a, most of you women aren't as excited about looking at naked men and their bottoms, okay? Guys are. We're very visual. But with the woman, he had brought her into a chat room, and they were, she didn't have her, you know, she didn't know at first who he was, and he didn't know her. So what is happening is they're emotionally getting connected because he's saying things, but he's also saying, have you ever done this? Have you ever done this? Would you like me to do this with you? And so they had had a sexual relationship, and she was really introduced to pornography through the chat room, not through visuals. See, we always think of pornography as looking at, you know, Kim Kardashian naked. Okay, but that's not it. So let's make sure that we understand you know, all sides of it. Now, let's make sure that we understand what we call pornography escalation. I've got it here on your notes. First of all, people will view pornography. It's a, it's a different type of addiction. Next week when I talk about drug-proof your kids, uh, alcohol addiction, drug addiction stuff, the addiction is different. Pornography is almost an instant addiction. Kids' brains stop growing at age 24. So the frontal cortex is what kind of brings you to the stimulation package, and that's the, the last part of your brain that's developed. It's actually the decision-making process. And if you have older kids, you can kind of blame some of their weirdness on their brain not being developed uh, fully yet. But think of mud ruts. So I, I look at pornography if I'm a kid, and um, we're already, like for me as an old guy, I mean, I still, if I looked at pornography, uh, you know, I could get stimulated and all this. But with a kid, it develops kind of a, quickly a mud rut through the frontal cortex to the stimulation package of the brain. So you almost have an instant addiction. So you view pornography and you go, wow, that did something to me that nothing else has ever done. Got that? So when you look at it, they view pornography and then pretty quickly it's an addiction. And it's addiction. And and so think of mud ruts. You're driving in a car and all of a sudden you get in a mud rut and it just takes you there. Well, that's what this is doing. And it's a very pleasing to your brain if you are involved in pornography, it's very pleasing, and so it's, a, it's part of an addiction, okay? And so your brain wants more. So what happens is, point three is that you escalate. So at once you saw it, maybe you even felt shame or you felt kind of weird or awkward, and if they don't have a relationship with you, they're not going to talk to you about it. If they do, they may. And see, that's a good sign. That's why we have all this stuff when they're younger, to have conversations so they feel comfortable uh, doing that. But then it escalates. Then you get desensitized. And so what was gross two weeks ago or two months ago or a year ago isn't gross anymore. Okay. So, but what had happened was all those images are stored. What did you do? You viewed pornography. Okay. So in eighth grade, when I saw my first topless woman, it was in National Geographic. 
I'm 61 years old, I still have that image. And it's not a pretty image. She was standing in the Amazon with a spear, and it's just a horrible image. But, that's, and, but believe me, I kept going back to that National Geographic as if it was Playboy. I didn't have access to Playboy, but I had access to National Geographic. See. So what happened was my mind took a picture. So all these years later, it's still there. It's a little fuzzy. But do you think that I have forgotten the Kim Kardashian picture? No. In fact, because I don't look at pornography, there are the times when I see pornography, like I was speaking to 35,000 kids at the Alamo Dome uh, in San Antonio on this subject. And uh, there was a group, this dates me, there was a group called DC Talk. Okay? And they were uh, singing, and then I spoke on this, and thousands of kids came forward to receive this, you know, I mean, to be challenged and committed to the purity code. Afterwards, you run a mass unit for about two hours. So by this time, it's almost midnight. I go to the hotel, and I'm doing what most good men do. I'm channel surfing, and all of a sudden, I see, again, full frontal nudity. And I'm like, how did I slip onto a porno channel? I mean, I, I, I'm so careful with that. Well, it was HBO. So I say to kids the next day, I'm doing these super seminars in the hotel, and they go, how many of you saw HBO after midnight? And these kids all go, yeah. And then they go, uh, you know, they were caught. But what I saw, I still have in my head, and I probably saw it for seven seconds. So again, it's part of this process that, you know, you eventually get desensitized to that, and then listen to this. Then you begin to act it out. Now with kids, you act it out first in your mind. So now what's happening is, with girls and guys, you're beginning to look at the opposite sex as a sex object, okay? Or with guys, I'd like to do that to that girl. With girls, I'd like to have this experience with that guy because they've had an experience, okay? Greatest new users of internet pornography are boys ages 12 to 17. Girls are right behind them. So then you want to act it out in person, and so as you start doing that, now you're carrying all kinds of baggage. You say, oh, man. I mean, you, you, I realize you're kind of a quiet audience tonight, but this, the fact is, is that doesn't have to be our kids. But the way we start, if your kids are younger, the reason I go through all this is because if your kids are younger, have these kind of conversations. If your kids are older, let's say your kids have seen pornography or your kids are kind of into pornography. I mean, you, maybe you know something. Don't make it a one-topic conversation with them. I mean, you still need to talk about snowboarding and grades and sports and dance and school and all these other kind of things. However, it's th if they are involved in it, then that's when you teach them this, this healthy view of sexuality. So don't use it as a punishment, but walk through books like The Purity Code or Every Man's Battle or Every Young Woman's Battle or whatever it might be to help kids you know, kind of think through this stuff. See, I talked to a woman this week who uh, I, was, I, I spoke at Rock Harbor on Thursday night and I was talking to this woman whose, whose son is you know, really tied into it. She's a single mom, great parent, sounds like. And she said, what would you suggest? And I said, I would suggest immediately that you walk through a book called Every Young Man's Battle, okay? And that you actually do it with him. And don't, but don't make it a punishment. Just say, you know what? With all that's going on, I just feel like I haven't done as good a job with you, um, you know, kind of talking through this, so let's talk through it. She goes, that's going to be awkward. I go, you better believe it's going to be awkward. I go, it's awkward for me. I write books on this and speak on it. And, you know, when, when I have to talk to my kids or talk to my kids now that they're older, it's kind of more, sometimes I'm blown away by what they, you know, talk to me about. But earlier on, it was just awkward. But we got to get past that. Nobody said parenting was going to be easy. Easy to make babies, not easy to, to uh, you know, talk to them about this kind of stuff. But very important that we kind of think through that. And really, that's partly about the eyes. The other things you want to talk to your kids about would be, um, you know, the idea of, of, of flirting and 
uh, modesty, how far is too far? I mean, with my kids at a certain age, I kind of went, okay, there's light kissing, strong kissing, French kissing, fondling of the breasts, fondling of the sexual organs, sexual intercourse. Where does that happen? See? And they're like, Dad. I said, well, let's talk about that. What are you going to do if a boy, I'm, again, I had daughters, so what are you going to do if, you know, if a boy is kissing you and he puts his hand on your breast? Dad, that's so gross. What are you going to do? You know, and, and begin to have those kinds of conversations. That was how far is too far. Modesty, really tough. And you know what, men, and I appreciate so many men are here tonight. I'm so grateful for that because a lot of times it's the women who, comes to these, who, who come to these, and sometimes for, for other reasons, but you know, a lot of men in here. I think it's your job to talk to both your boys and your girls about modesty issues. You know, I had to say to my girls, guys, look at skin. You know, and I'd kind of have these kind of conversations. Not make guys into oh, big, horrible ogres, but I, I had to say that. Uncles look at skin. Ew, dad. See, with guys, I had to help. I mean, I didn't have boys, but I sure have talked to a lot of boys about this just because for some reason other parents will go, can you talk to my son? And, but, you know, it's important for them to understand. Modesty, meaning, I mean, guys, it's not like some girl's going to go, oh, my gosh, I mean, that guy. Well, they kind of do that now. But they have to be careful in terms of modesty, in terms of their actions. Modesty is more than just what you wear, see. We always think it's just what you wear. But it's how you talk, how you act. It's kind of the flirting side. And then flirting. I remember I was, when I was a youth pastor, um, you know, we'd go to camp and everybody did the tickle thing. And, you know, I'd be with middle schoolers and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, some of these guys are doing this tickle thing and they're kind of putting, you know, they're having these moments where they're brushing up against a girl. There's not even a whole lot there, but they're still brushing up and that is like a, a highlight to them. And so, you know, Am I, do I have to be the big bad guy and kind of go, no tickling, you know, this is a Christian cap, you know, whatever. But, but the truth is, is parents have to help them understand that, okay, in terms of, and flirting. You know, flirting, um, when you're married, for goodness sakes, flirt like crazy. But at certain ages, we have to help them understand what those kind of standards are, okay? So again, we're going to have time to talk in a minute, but those are kind of the eyes, and, and we can talk more about that. Um, the other one is the heart. And, and again, we're getting this from the purity code, which is right at the bottom of this, but it says, honor God with your body, renew your mind for good, um, turn your eyes from worthless things, and then guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. And so things that we want to be saying to our kids, permeating them even at a young age, would be lots of grace and forgiveness, helping them learn to how to handle their emotions. I mean, most of us haven't been to parenting school. I'm actually really excited about the fourth week of this series because I'm going to talk about a strategy for parenting because a lot of us don't have a strategy and a lot of marriages have trouble because they're not on the same page. And so I'm going to talk about some of the discipline issues, some of the stages of parenting, what we do in it, with that. How do we also help them grow spiritually? I want to put a little time into that as well you know, on that last one. But part of it is we also have to help our kids understand their emotions, handling their emotions. You know, Some of you didn't know how to handle your emotions, and it got you in trouble with the opposite sex, okay? So it's good for parents to help them, you know, help them deal with that, and that partly you know, is a heart issue. And then I want to talk about sexual abuse, and um, a lot of you would say, well, well, why? That's because one out of three young girls, by the time they graduate from high school, will be sexually abused. One out of five or six young, young guys. Now, I'm going to do some of it, but not the, the star of the show. Hillary, who works with middle school, Actually, in a previous life, I thought Hillary was like, you know, 
16. And um, as I got to know her, a couple things. One is she's had incredible experience with this. We are so fortunate at our, at our church to have somebody like her with what her past work was before she came our way. And um, number two, I think she's one of the better, a great communicator. Was, uh, she was giving announcements what, two weeks ago in, in church, and I leaned over to Catherine and I go, oh my gosh, she's a great communicator. So I've actually asked her to kind of give you a tad bit of background, and then I'm going to have her tell you what um, she would tell kids. Okay, so here you go, Hillary. How about now? Yeah, hey. Um, thanks, guys. Yeah, before I got into ministry, um, my first career out of college, which I figured out today was 10 years ago, um, was I was working in sexual assault and sexual abuse prevention education. And what my job was was to go to work with different age groups. So we'd actually do um, different workshops and presentations and education in different ways that was age-appropriate to kindergartners, seventh graders, and juniors in high school, juniors and seniors in high school, and then um, college. So we would partner with uh, a local, well, a state coalition, and then we would work with the local school districts, actually, and partner with them as part of their sex education curriculum that they would get um, at school. We would come in, and for a day, I would just give the same presentation five or six times or whatever it is just for that class and it was so fun it was so great and it was a really great way to start um, a really tricky conversation but in a way that was not scary and so I'm going to talk to you about it and I don't I want to say to you like don't be scared about this this is not necessarily something when we talk about it we know it's scary because we're looking at it from a different perspective but when we're talking to the kids about it for them um, if they've not experienced it yet it's not scary yet and so this is something that coming from you and it was coming from from me and and a volunteer dressed up in a giant bear costume which i will tell you about in a second um so serious so, but it was coming from me, but we also partnered with parents to make sure that they were having these conversations because now even as um, a youth pastor, I know that you guys are the biggest influencers in the lives of your students. I say it all the time. So coming from you comes from, it's a safe place. It's a different perspective. And so don't be scared about this. This is not as scary as it seems. So um, going through these different age groups, we would start actually in kindergarten. And a lot of times we'd send home letters to parents and we'd work with teachers and the teachers it took a while to get them on board because they're like, I don't know, what are you going to talk about when you come in here? Um, and we would, t we would have workshops for parents because we wanted to know, we want them to know exactly what we're talking about. Um, and the conversation entering into this about sexual abuse was very simple and it was just about, it was three R's. It was recognize, resist, and report. And so when we're going in, I would literally bring a volunteer, an adult volunteer dressed up in a bear costume, and we would talk, and his name was Happy Bear. And the kids would love when Happy Bear came in because we gave out coloring books, and it was just a giant bear. It was like Mickey Mouse. So we'd go in, and Happy Bear helped us to explain to these kids. And I'm going to tell you what we talked about. It's for those of you who have younger kids, um, and you're like, I don't know how to start this conversation. It was really simple, and it was actually really easy. And the way that we framed it was very empowering for the kids. So it wasn't like a, this is something you need to be scared about. It was like, hey, what do you do when this happens to you? And they're like, say no! 
And it turned into this big thing. So we would actually say, hey, this is Happy Bear. And we're going to talk to you guys today about good touch and bad touch. And so those were the two things that they knew we were going to talk about. And we'd say, good touch is the, good, the touch that makes you feel good on the inside. And it makes you feel happy. And it makes you feel, you know, warm and fuzzy. And we'd get, I'd give Happy Bear a hug. And it was always a coworker, So we're like, ha, ha, ha. And then, you know, and then we would... Um, and, so, and a high five, and so we'd give examples of healthy, t- of, of good touches. And then we would go and say, hey, it, what about a bad touch? And so it was like, bad touches actually kind of make you feel kind of yucky on the inside. And sometimes people tell you to keep those things a secret. And so we would go, guess what, though? If that happens to you, and we would make sure that they knew to say no. And so we'd practice, and we'd go, what are you going to say? And they say, no. And like, we didn't hear you. No. And so we'd talk to them about Usually the, these kinds of touches happen in your private parts. And so we'd say, there's, you know, there's different times when different people have to touch your private parts. And that is if you're hurt or if they're helping you clean them, and that's okay. And then we would go, there may be some other times where this happens to you, and someone tells you to keep it a secret. It makes you get that yucky feeling on the inside. And what are, what are your private parts? And I always talk to parents, when we would talk to parents, I'd always say, it's really important for parents to use the correct terminology for those private parts. So we would say, okay, ha- this is the parts that are covered up by your bathing suit. Because then it's, like, not weird. It's just, it's not, like, like, that's how they know exactly what it is. So we'd have Happy Bear put on the bathing suit. Happy Bear's a boy, and his boy bathing suit goes up to here because it covers up his penis and his bottom. And it was so funny because the kids would giggle. And we'd be like, what are you laughing at? And there's like, you said bottom. <laughs> we're like, yeah, that's right. That's funny. So, no, that's not. We wouldn't say that. And actually, and then we would have Happy Bear put on her girl bathing suit, pull it all the way up to here, and we'd use the correct terminology for her girl parts too. And then they would giggle, and we go, "What are you guys giggling at?" And they're like, "Use the words that you use." And we go, "Okay, well, what's this?" And they're like, "Nose." Well, what's this? Elbow. And we're like, "You guys aren't laughing when we use those words. Why are those other words funny?" And they're like. They're not. Like, it was just so, it was, I don't know. It was just funny. You said bottom, and we're, and they're like, butt. And then you're like, okay. So, but being able for them to identify that, and this is sort of like a little bit of a tricky, morbid um, thing, but we also worked in, in, I worked for a sexual assault center, and we would work with victims, and some were child victims, and we would have problems in prosecution cases when the, when the kids wouldn't use the correct terminology for what was happening to them. And so it's, it was super important from that perspective and because what we talked about last week and, and what Jen's been so great at outlining is it's not a shameful thing. Those are parts of our body. And so we would, we would talk about that, give examples of things, and go into, okay, what are you going to do? Resist. Say no. Then what are you going to do? Run away. What if you're at home? Go to my neighbor. So we would actually outline very specific subjects so that they knew exactly where to go and what to do. And then the third thing was to report it. Um, and this is another thing too for you guys to do with your kids is help them to identify safe adults to go and tell. Um, and the problem with um, this abuse that's happening is that the statistic at the time, and I'd have to double check it again, was 85% of abuse that happens against people is by somebody that they know. So it was really important for, for adults to be able to say, hey, you can come to me and you can tell me because a lot of times what happens is a process called grooming where it's like, this isn't something that you can tell anyone. This is our secret. This is something that we're, it's our special thing or whatever it is, or I'm going to hurt your family. And you go, no, if that's happening. And so that was part of the education. Say no, get away and tell somebody. And then those are the three things. 
One doesn't come without the other. So it was really important for us to even start that conversation as young as kindergarten. And it went really well because it wasn't scary. And so that's something for, um, for you guys to be able to be encouraged by. Um, and then there's, we would work with middle school age too. And I see a lot of junior high parents in here, which I'm so proud of. Um, but we would work with middle schoolers and that same conversation carries through to a different perspective to go, hey, um, we would actually talk more about sexual harassment. And so we talk about the different types of sexual harassment. There's quid pro quo, this for that. And it's like, if you do this, I will do this for you. And so we talked about that. But mostly what we focused on was a form of sexual harassment called uh, hostile environment. where uh, And we talked to junior hires, which, you know, I can see the importance of this conversation, too, about making a place a safe place. We're like, hey, if you're doing something to somebody else and you're doing it repeatedly and they have asked you to stop, I want you to know that that's harassment. And you got to stop doing that. And the other thing to talk about with them, too, was the importance of bystander intervention, which is when a kid sees his friend harassing somebody else, going in and going, hey, dude, that's not cool. And, and you, know, you know, having those conversations, and we would have conversations about parts, too, and, oh, my gosh, that was a real fun conversation to have with junior hires. I just made everyone stand up and go, on the count of three, I want everyone to say penis. And they were like, Really? I was like, get up and do it right now. And then they, and it's like, laugh. Okay, save time. Laugh. Okay, that's it. You guys are done. We're not laughing about it anymore. Let's move on and have other conversations like young adults. Okay? Okay. So it was yeah, making sure that we talked about those types of things and respecting each other, like Jim was talking about before, and making sure to um, outline the value of people and why we don't treat other people um, as less than they are actually worth. And so making sure, to, also we talked about healthy, healthy relationships. And that carried into our conversation with um, high schoolers, which focused a lot on sexual assault. Um, because of those statistics, we knew that um, a, lot of, a lot of our kids would graduate from high school having already been sexually assaulted. And so being able to have real and... Um, you know, risky conversations with those high schoolers and say, hey, if this has happened to you and this was against your will, this, this is what that was. And you don't have to, like, this can stop now. And also we have resources for you. Because I was coming from the agency that actually provided counseling and legal consult, um, that was something that we were able to do. But also just making sure to have that conversation and go, hey, if somebody's treating you this way, this is not healthy. This is not what's supposed to happen. And here are some next steps that you can take um, in that situation. And even outlining stuff. Because a lot of times there would be people who were in the room who may have been victims and they don't even know that it, this happened to me and, and that was actually some, a way that somebody um, pushed my boundaries that I wasn't ready for. And then I worked with college students, so that was a lot about um, date rape and different situations like that. And we would talk about that in high school as well. But parents were always involved in those conversations um, and they were really, really important conversations to start at that early age. And it's part of this healthy development stuff and being able to recognize value and when someone you know encroaches on, on that value of next steps to take and being that person that your student can go to um, in those situations. So I wanted to make sure to talk about it because it seems like such a scary thing and it's not a scary thing. We get to be able to talk about it and talk about it with empowerment and go, I'm armed to have this conversation. So and I'd love to talk to you more about it too if that's something that you're interested in. I could talk about it all day, but I won't. Because the sex expert is here. So, <laughs> thanks, guys. That was amazing, by the way.
I want my kids to go back into junior high so they can have her as the junior high pastor. I'm just telling you that right now. I, you know, my background is, is, is youth ministry. I've been involved in youth ministry since the 70s. I've rarely heard anything as articulate as what she just said to you. Now, I hope that's in, inspiring and empowering to you at whatever age your kids, you know, the three R's. I'll never forget that. Um, it's a good, good thing. Uh, there was a season in my life when I was speaking to kids where I would come in and do high school assemblies, and that meant that the kids were already at a stage. And I'm convinced of this, parents, that if you have those conversations at a younger age, if you have younger kids, that you're empowering them and they won't be that same statistic because they'll know what to do, okay? If, this is one of the things that I would say there, and I'm kind of going back to your notes now, is I, if, if there was sexual abuse, or if a kid had sexual, if, if, if I was going to talk to a kid who had sexual abuse or if I was going to talk to a, an assembly, I would say you are a friend because a lot of times they don't want to admit. But I would say, number one, it's not your fault. It's always the fault of the abuser. And I don't care what age a kid is. I don't care what their mind is. A lot of times they'll think, well, I must have been flirting or, you know, maybe that's what, you know, stepdaddies do or maybe that's what a babysitter does or it's our secret or whatever it might be. But it's not your fault. It's always the fault of the abuser. Secondly, it's in your notes, seek help. Do not suffer in silence. I mean, if I had cancer and you were my friend, I would hope that you would talk to me about going to a doctor. But the problem is, is that a lot of kids who've been sexually abused, they, they, they're ashamed. They feel an incredible shame factor, so they won't talk to anybody. That's why as a parent, at whatever stage you're in with your parenting, if something ever happened, you could come and talk to me, and I wouldn't get mad at you. See, and, and you know, you may get, maybe they made some dumb things. They made a dumb decision. They were out with a guy doing something wrong. They'd already been going too far or whatever it might be. Still, at this point, if they'll talk to you, I wouldn't get mad at them at this point. That point is to make sure you're protecting them. So seek help, do not suffer in silence. Thirdly, is there is hope. Of people who have had abuse, there are millions of people who go and do the hard work, and believe me, it is hard work. But if they've had the hard work and they do the hard work, there's hope. They can get through this. If they're not willing to do the work, then they're not going to have much hope. But you've got to give kids hope. Okay, And then fourthly is God cares. Interestingly enough, pretty much any abuse victim uh, blames God. And I use this scripture, you know, I say, hey, what's the shortest verse in the Bible? A lot of kids know it's Jesus wept. And um, I say, if Jesus wept at the death of a friend, then Jesus weeps with you over your abuse. So, you know, he didn't cause that, you see. And so a lot of times, especially if there's a male, if it was a father, stepfather, you know, male figure. Remember, she said, she said a term that should have blown your mind. 80 to 85% of child abuse victims are with someone that they know. And oftentimes they love. See? Okay. So, you know, you have to reconfigure our father who art in heaven. Wait, my father did that to me, or my stepfather did that to me, or my, you know, brother or uncle or whatever. So they have a real view, weird view. And this could be guys and girls. Okay. Um, so as parents... One, part of your sex, sex, sexual abuse is not sex. I was talking with a new friend last week about that. That was not sex that was done to you. That was violence that was done to you. That was trauma that was done to you. But we tend to then make it about sex. And so we have a real awkward view of sex. We have an awkward view sometimes of if you've been sexually abused, talking to your kids about it, um, you know, because it's just so hard for you. It brings up issues. But the point being is that that is a really... A key issue to be able to talk to kids about, and they'll get through it. They can get through it. 
um, hopefully what you're doing is you're doing the prevention thing that you know, Hillary's talking about. That takes us back to the purity code. We started with the purity code last week, and it says, in honor of God, my family, my future spouse, I commit to sexual purity. How? Four ways. You honor God with your body, so you're going to teach your kids that at all ages. You renew your mind for good. These are all scriptures. You turn your eyes from worthless things. So much about the eyes. And then the last one is guard your heart. So as parents, part of our job is to help them learn to guard their heart above all else, for it determines the course of their life. Okay? So neat presentation today in many ways, um, but at the same time a hard one because we, we talked about some of the harder types of things. But don't forget, as we started, we started with, you know, how do we create this healthy foundation, say it in a positive way. Let's take some Q&A and we'll be out of here right on time. Yeah, way in the back. Yeah, the, yeah, that's, I don't see as much of that. To me, there's exclusive dating and there's inclusive dating. I don't have a problem with guys and girls hanging out. Like, even if your daughter went, you know, with a bunch of kids, but kind of didn't pair up. Um, but, you know, and especially if, they, if she went with a bunch of girls, no sweat. Why I like um, youth ministries, because some of that's happening in that. So the, I, I kind of buzz too fast on that in some ways, because I was talking, you know, inclusive is what I'm more worried about. I, excuse me. Exclusive is what I'm worried about inclusive is great. So I wouldn't have so much of a problem with that. Sometimes where we have to be careful, though, is that if they're, if they're getting to do older kid things, whether it be with, you know, a date or not, you know, we just, we want to we hold some markers out there. Don't let our kids, in, here in South Orange County, we have so much. Um, so we don't want our kids to experience so much that by the time they get to be the times of dating that they're kind of bored with the whole thing because they've already had all these great experiences. Hold some things back. Not a problem with a bunch of kids going that way. I wouldn't see that as much. Yeah. Not pre. I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, the masturbation is a, hard, is a hard one because the scripture does not talk about masturbation. And the scripture has certain things, you know, it's kind of given the rules on fornication and all this. I would say it is actually somewhat normal that you may, you know, want to touch your private parts. And, and actually, when you get to be a certain age, pretty soon here, it's going to kind of stimulate your private parts. And part of that is going to feel really good, okay? Um, in our family, we would have then said, However, if, you know, the Bible also says if you lust after someone, you've kind of, you know, already committed sex with them. It's adultery is the word, but we would probably said sex. And so you're going to have to really be careful with that kind of thing. And if you're ever struggling in that area, then I want you to talk to, you know, talk to us about it and we won't get mad at you. But there are actually three, three different ways of looking at masturbation. There would be some parents in here who would say masturbation is a sin. All masturbation is a sin. The, the Catholic Church says that. There's not a scripture there, but, you know, it's, a, it's kind of part of that, that DNA. And I have some pretty close friends who feel that way too. And they would say, and I would agree with it if it's obsessive compulsive or if it's tied into, master, or tied into pornography probably. Starve it. <laughs> Get rid of it. Um, so one is, says it's a sin. Another says it's a gift from God. And these are Christians also who said, I would rather have you come out of a makeout session hot and bothered than satisfied and worthy, worried. In other words, I'd rather have you have a masturbation experience than go all the way with that guy or girl. And then there's a whole group of people that are kind of middle of the road. It's probably going to happen. Um, don't totally freak out on it. 
but um, it probably needs to be guarded a bit, and it can move to other you know, kind of negative things, but it's kind of normal, okay? So here's the problem. Like, you didn't hear me say necessarily exactly what I would say, but you know, I'm pro- I probably fall somewhere in the middle of that, and yet that would put some people really, really mad at me on one way or the other, <laughs> okay? Um, I definitely have a problem if it's obsessive-compulsive and if it's also tied into p- pornography, um, because I think that's going to harm them more. And I think it can be stuff. I think you can starve that. I don't think it, it can it be natural. But, you know, I was talking with a guy. I did a radio show today with a guy who is divorced, and he was asking me, you know, do I be, I'm just about ready to get married. You know, would it be okay if I moved in with my spouse? And I said, well, science tells us that if you cohabitate, that you have less, um, you, you'll have less, um, you'll have a greater chance of, of getting divorced you'll have a greater chance of adultery and you'll have less sexual satisfaction when you get married. I mean, that's just science. I, I didn't even mention the Bible. So again, there's, there's certain things that we can kind of talk through, but again, we don't have that, with masturbation especially, we don't have that, that biblical side. But it's going to be talked about. It's going to be dealt with. It might as well be dealt with by you. Dr. Dobson um, wrote years ago that eight out of 10 boys by the time they're 18 have a masturbation experience. He says the other two are probably liars. And um, with girls, it was about 40% when they first started studying masturbation in 1945. Why I know that statistic, I'm filled with statistics today. But today it's about 70, 75% of women have that experience, young women. So it's somewhat more normal. So as parents, we'll have to probably have those kind of conversations. I'm not sure if I answered it as correct as you'd want, but that's kind of my shot at it. Okay, you need to come back next week when we talk about creating a media safe home. <laughs> um, I don't think you keep them in a bubble. I, as much as I'd love to have kept my kids in a bubble and want all of you to do it, what you're doing is, you know, the bottom line, you're going to hear me say this the last week, the bottom line in parenting is you're not trying to raise obedient kids. You're trying to raise responsible adults. And in order to do that, you, if you bubbleize them, I mean, again, I'm not saying that you let them do anything, but if you kind of bubbleize them, that's a new word I've coined tonight, but if you bubbleize them, then they're not going to know how to handle that. So I would rather have you teach them how to do the internet properly. And frankly, what we'll talk about next week is, you know, do we have, are there some accountability software? There are accountability softwares. You know, do you, do you have some other kinds of limits? Do you put Net Nanny on or do you put Be Safe Online or some of those kind of things? Yes. So you help them, but you gradually give them greater access to the internet, okay? Not just dump, at 11, I wouldn't just dump everything at them and I wouldn't put them in their room as long as they want with Wi-Fi. But I think there's a, a process and, and we'll talk, honestly, we'll, we'll really talk more about that next week. If they've already been exposed to pornography, which almost all kids at that age will at least have seen it, then that's a perfect age for us to then teach. This is the time to go, well, let's give them a healthy view of sexuality. And so that's why I'm a proponent of, you know, taking your kids away, going through, you know, one of the many great resources there are out there, you know, for them. And, uh, you know, my wife did that. She took, you know, our kids away. That was our, our girls away. That was great. I went away with the girls when they were 16. So we had these, you know, moments where we had these, these bigger deals, but that freed us up to have, you know, ongoing conversation. But today, I don't think 
we can just have the one talk. I think we need to have dialogue, and I think we need other people's resources. And I'm not just in terms of whistling on my stuff. I just think that, you know, today we have good material on sex and sexuality, and it's not as geeky as it used to be. When Even my kids, I mean, you know, I've got 20-somethings and, and one 30-year-old. Man, the stuff we had to put in front of them at age 11 was almost, I mean, it was embarrassing. It was really geeky. We don't, that's not as much today. Today they're, they're pretty cool. Good questions, by the way. How'd you like my segue into saying, come back next week? <laughs> okay, one more. Yes, sir. Um, at what age should your young kids no longer like see you naked, both the opposite sex and things? Like Great question. 